Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, January 19th. We begin with our monthly conversation with Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfelt. We look at the latest crime trends in our city with a focus on an issue that's been front and centre over the past few weeks, public safety at LRT stations. Then it's another edition of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. As always, Dr. Janney answers COVID-19 questions as sent in by you, the listeners. If you're in the market for a new home and energy efficiency is one of the features you're interested in, there's a new resource to help you in your search. We hear all about this new housing efficiency tool created by the Alberta Ecotrust Foundation. And finally, can your love of your favorite sports team have an impact on your overall mental health and stress levels? Our Dave McIver digs into the topic and what he found may surprise you. And we're joined, as we are every month, by Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld to discuss the issues that are facing Calgarians these days. Chief Newfeld joining us once again this morning. Good morning to you, Chief. Thanks for being with us. Hey, good morning, Sue. Happy to be here. I appreciate your time always. Uh, Let's start off with one of the biggest news stories this week, and that's Justice Minister Casey Madu calling Edmonton's police chief after getting a distracted driving ticket. How difficult and inappropriate is that from a chief's perspective? Have you ever had something like that happen to you? Uh, you know what? I can't say that I have necessarily uh, something exactly like that, but there are times when people reach out to the police chief where you, you just can't be the contact for them because, of course, you're a decision maker on some of the issues that they may have. So it, it can certainly be awkward. I think the timing of it was uh, challenging, as you know, the minister himself has acknowledged. Um, but I think good to see the government has, has uh, you know, stepped in there to uh, look into it and uh, do an investigation, and so I think that's quite right. Chief, as, as we switch gears, let's talk about Calgary Transit. This is something that, you know, I think we all want to be safe when we just want to get where we want to go on a bus or a C train. And this has been in focus, it seems like, over the past few months, a little bit more so. And then with warming stations uh, being, well, the LRT stations being used as warming stations even more so. So what do we need to do to ensure public safety, for example, at LRT stations? And I, I'm not sure if this is your jurisdiction, because I know we see transit officers and bylaw there quite a bit. But how much are the Calgary Police Service members? involved? Well, this is a big issue, uh, Andy, as you as you point out. I think everybody wants to be safe on transit and should be. Um, so I think it's a joint effort. I think we have uh, transit and bylaw, obviously, for dealing with, you know, fair issues and minor disorder issues and that sort of thing. But certainly, uh, it's almost a perfect storm because we've seen with COVID-19, a lot of vulnerable people not wanting to be in shelters because they're worried about catching COVID uh, and some of the issues that go on there. So they're out into other public spaces like transit. And so I think where we've seen increasing level of violence which we have seen, um, that's where the police need to be able to intervene. When we start to see, you know, stabbings and weapons and and conflict within that community, um, obviously we need to be stepping in to make sure that people are safe. And so very much a joint effort, but obviously very much something that's on the radar because I think uh, it's, it's definitely in need of attention right now for sure. Chief, this is another one that's uh, maybe a bit difficult to answer because it's kind of a provincial issue, but your thoughts on it. uh, And that is talking about the province removing the ability for Calgarians to fight a traffic ticket without paying a fee to do it. Removing that ability to to discuss or, or, or maybe fight, you know, if we don't agree with a ticket that we got. Your thoughts on that? 
Well, I'm of two minds, actually, because, I mean, obviously there's capacity issues in the justice system. And so on the one hand, I've certainly heard the arguments that people want to be able to go to court and have their day. Um, but then also, I know that a lot of people are looking for a deal. We've almost, you know, conditioned uh, people in Alberta here to look for um, a reduction in either the fine or the penalties or whatever. Um, and so uh, a lot of people look to do that rather than going to court. Um, there's an administrative option there for being able to um, um, deal with tickets. Uh, and so a lot of people, when they say, you know, I just paid the ticket because, gosh, it would have been uh, expensive for me to miss the day, the, uh, a, a day at work and a day's pay potentially. Uh, this way, some people might actually be supportive of the option to be able to do that online. So I'm, I'm kind of of two minds in relation to it. I, I've certainly heard both sides and I get it. Uh, and it's a balance between efficiency and effectiveness, I guess. My favorite is when you tell your friend or your coworker that you got a ticket and you've got that frown. They say, "Well, maybe next time, don't speed." You just don't. You just don't <laughs> want to hear. That. That. You don't want to hear that from somebody. <laughs> it it um, seems so easy, doesn't it? Yeah, it <laughs> does. Apparently, that's the case. Um, you know, something that's been in the news over the past, uh, you know, a handful of days, a couple of weeks, but is not new. Uh, we'd heard about the incident on a popular cocktail club on 17th Avenue about a, a woman having something toxic put into her drink. So uh, let's talk about how, how prevalent a crime like this is in the city of Calgary. And I think that a lot of times we think that something like that doesn't happen in a city our size or our, our, our nice and, and friendly community of Calgary. Yeah, good point, Andy. I, th- I think this is an underreported crime, typically, and I think the numbers are probably down a little bit right now compared to what they usually are because, of course, um, you know, people have been uh, thinking twice about going out to the bars and and uh, that type of thing. But I-, I think this is something people always have to be on the lookout for uh, to try to make sure that you're, you know, you're with somebody and you're careful about uh, keeping your eye on your drink and that sort of thing. It's a very disconcerting situation, uh, to say the very least. I think the one thing that, that I need to to remind folks about is if they if they suspect that they might have actually been uh, in a situation where their drink was spiked or whatever the case might be, to report that as quickly as possible. Those types of chemicals, when they're when they're ingested, uh, actually go through the system quite quickly. So you know, if you think about that for a couple of days before you let the police know, sometimes it'll be very hard to prove. So uh, I think that's the one thing. I think it's an underreported crime. I think people, if they feel like something's going on, they should report, uh, definitely report, and do that as soon as they can. Okay. Uh, we've heard lots about this. I hear it in my community. You know, someone stole my license plate off my car. And now police are, you're asking us to really make sure that as soon as something like that, that happens, when a license plate goes missing, report that theft immediately to police. What are you looking for here? Well, I can tell you, we have uh, in Alberta here large numbers of uh, thefts of vehicles. And what's been happening, uh, Sue, is that actually uh, thieves, when they uh, steal a particular vehicle, they'll often look for a similar vehicle and then swap the plate. And what they're doing there is they know the owner of the vehicle will report the vehicle stolen. Uh, so the plate will be on file as being stolen so the police can identify it. But now they've replaced that with a, with a plate that's not stolen. Sometimes uh, Calgarians won't even notice because how many times do you actually look at your license plate to make sure the plate on the vehicle is actually yours? And what that allows thieves to do is to basically drive around that stolen vehicle uh, and make it much harder for the police to detect. Um, oftentimes when we would find those and we'd phone uh, people, they would say they had been aware of it, but they just hadn't got around to uh, reporting it just yet. So I think it's a situation where people maybe don't realize how important it is and what's going on with that plate. Uh, and so we're just encouraging people to make sure that they do that. Now it, it'll be a requirement to do that. And we'll do our part to make sure it's easy to do. But certainly when we, we understand the types of crimes that are going on and being committed with these stolen vehicles, we need to set our officers up to be able to detect those and intervene in that as quickly as we possibly can. And this is one way that we can do that. 
Still on the topic of vehicles, Chief, it's interesting on my uh, neighborhood group on Facebook, for example, they're listing, hey, I saw a guy walking down the street trying car doors at 3 in the morning. And um, it's interesting to me because people are saying, be sure to lock your doors. Besides that, is it important to report something like this to Calgary police? What what would happen if we report, hey, you know, we've, we've seen people in the neighborhood trying car doors in the middle of the night? It totally is. I think sometimes people, uh, when they see people uh, trying car, car doors, but maybe not going uh, into cars, not accessing cars, uh, I think sometimes the thinking is, well, you know, nothing happened. We won't bother the police. But now, you know, with online reporting, it's quite easy for people to be able to do that without actually uh, attending a station or, or even calling uh, the police directly. What that gives us the opportunity to do, though, is to actually uh, get a better understanding of kind of crime trends, where things are going on. And, and the other piece that you might not know is that maybe there was a break-in in a, in a vehicle, you know, one block over, or maybe police caught somebody in the, in the nearby area. And if you report that, those, those events can be linked. And if charges are, uh, are laid in one, they could be laid in the other as well. So you, you sometimes when you see somebody walking down the street, you don't have that whole picture. And if you do take time to report that, it, it just puts one more puzzle piece on the table for the police to be able to, um, to uh, see what's going on and, and react accordingly. Thank you so much for your time this morning. As always, answered lots of great questions that people had on their minds today. Appreciate your time, Chief. Hey, that's awesome. Have a great day, you guys. Thank you, you too. That is Calgary Police Chief Mark Newfeld. And we're very excited to once again have Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary with us. Good morning to you, Dr. Janney. Good morning. We're going to get into some questions in a second, but I want to get to this. This week, Health Canada approved the oral COVID treatment from Pfizer. Uh, They're saying that it could be a game changer in our fight against COVID. So I'm wondering if you can break down exactly what this treatment is, because we're so used to the vaccines. How does it work and who should be using it? Yeah, so this is an interesting treatment. So this is a, a oral pill that you can take at home. It's by prescription only, and that's because uh, for, for a number of reasons. One is it does have some conflicts with other drugs. So people that might be taking other medication cannot take this particular pill. But what it does is after you're infected, the virus is copying itself. It's trying to make more viruses. And one of the steps in making a virus is it actually has to cut up little proteins in the cell. It makes a big protein and has to cut them. This drug inhibits those scissors. The virus can't cut the proteins to make a new virus. So it stops the virus from replicating. It gives our immune system the edge, gives us time to fight this off. So it can be a really good tool. But once again, it only works if you're already infected. It only works to give your immune system a leg up. So it's really designed for those that are at risk of developing severe disease. This will not really lessen symptoms or you know, take a mild case and make it milder. But it will stop those in the at-risk group from progressing to severe disease and needing the hospital. So great news. And and really, you need to get it from and talk to your doctor about it. Okay, so we have lots of questions, Dr. Janney, about the different vaccines. When people have had all the different vaccines, what do they get next? So here's one from Tony who asked about the efficacy of the vaccine sample pack, as he calls it, the AZ, Pfizer, and then Mm -hmm. a Moderna booster. Uh, seems to be working really well. We've learned that by mixing, we tend to get a good boost, uh, even better than three shots of the same. Uh, the other piece that in Canada most people have benefited from was we were forced out of necessity, but, but really quite fortunate how it worked out. Um, smart people making decisions. Stretching out those first two doses really helped our immunity compared to other countries. 
So when we're looking at numbers from other countries and when they need that third shot, Israel's working on a fourth shot. Keep in mind, Canada is in general very different. It's that, that 16 weeks or so between first and second shot for the majority of Canadians was absolutely the right step, and it has led to much better immunity. So, you know, the, the people that are fully vaccinated in this country are in general better protected than most other countries. But, you know, just in general, when it comes to, you know, the, uh, building off of Tony's question, like myself, mm-hmm. I had the AstraZeneca, then the two Pfizer's. Uh, we t- talked about this a couple months ago about do you still need a booster? What are your thoughts now as we move deeper into the pandemic and with Omicron? Yeah, so still looking at that data, especially now we are getting data from Israel on four doses. And it seems that for the average healthy person, a fourth dose six months after a third dose is not that protective. It, it, it's not adding anything at this point okay. for the, the average healthy person. Now, there will be some that are with weaker immune systems and could use that boost. And, and we see that for other diseases, that they have a different vaccine schedule for immunocompromised people. But again, the good news is we're tracking that data. So if that does become beneficial, let's say after nine months, we'll know about that. And we'll be able to make informed decisions here about the best timing if we need another shot or, or if we don't. Uh, we still don't actually know if, if that fourth shot will be required in, in the near future or not. Dr. Jenny, if you've had Omicron, are you at risk of catching it again, or are you immune to Omicron, but you could catch a future variant? So it's a little bit of both. So we do know that the more mild an infection is, if you're not vaccinated, but before getting infected, that immunity does fade, and it can fade within a few months. So Omicron could still be circulating. We can get reinfected with it. Um, But as you point out, too, that one thing we've learned or we've, we've clearly seen through this pandemic is the variants don't stay fixed in time. Every couple months, a new variant emerges, and that is designed by luck, by, by nature, to be different-looking virus and, and, and to evade immunity. So, you know, if you have Omicron now, just as we had seen with Delta, people infected with Delta are absolutely getting infected with Omicron now. So it, it will not be a universal protection in the future, but, you know, it's still better protection than no protection. We have a, a gentleman, I believe is a gentleman, who said that they had, you know... The shot uh, back in May of last year, okay, this person says his left arm where he had the shot, the injection site, still sore since May of last year and has seen five doctors. No one can help. Have you heard of any, you know, after effects like this? Uh, Not specifically to these vaccines. There are on occasion extremely rare cases with any vaccine, any injection, not just vaccines, any injection where there can be swelling of a nerve, there can be pain. Um, but these are, are often in the range of one in 50,000, one in 100,000 uh, individuals that would have any lingering effect and, and often less severe than this. So uh, it is possible, um, but it, is, it does not appear tied to these vaccines versus getting any injection uh, at any point in your life. Would you be your own advocate here and just keep fighting for answers and, and keep going back? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's no harm in, in asking. Uh, absolutely. This is, you know, we do firmly... Uh, support that if this is a problem for you, if this is a concern for you, do not give up on it. This is absolutely something uh, to continue looking for help and answers and, and hopefully uh, a treatment course. Dr. Jenny, can you hang on a couple more minutes and we'll bring you back after commercials? Yes. Fantastic. Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary, back to answer your questions in two minutes. More with Dr. Craig Janney. 
of course, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary. Dr. Janney, here's one that you're going to have to look into your crystal ball for. This, uh, this texture says, I'm concerned about the rising hospital and ICU numbers. Mm-hmm. Do we have a good idea about when Omicron will peak? So at this point, what are you seeing and looking at other countries and, and, and as far as the rates we have in our, our city and in our province? Are, can we see the peak coming? Uh, I, I, I don't know if we can put an exact week on it. What we do know is that the Omicron wave or peak looks like it will be narrower than the previous wave. So this is such a fast-spreading virus. We are seeing numbers from the province that, that's you know putting new cases over this past weekend at 18,000, and that's only of the ones we're testing. Uh, you know, Dr. Hinshaw has been clear that that may be as low as 10% of the total cases. So, you know, 180,000 cases uh, uh, every three days. This will go through the province very quickly, and we will start to see us come down the other side of that peak. Unfortunately, you know, as we've seen in other waves as well, hospitalizations, ICU, those tend to follow behind by a few weeks. So the fact that we've not seen the peak in new cases yet means we are not anywhere near the peak mm. of hospitalizations or ICU yet. So those will continue to rise at least for the next several weeks. That's not good news for sure, but something we need to be aware of. Okay, this one, wondering what the recommended wait time would be between contracting COVID and getting my booster. Yeah, so that's a great question. The, the, The guidance out there has been pretty confusing. What we do know is that it is best to wait until all your symptoms are done and you've recovered. So what does that actually mean? Some provinces are recommending four weeks. Some are recommending two weeks. You know, I, I think the simplest advice is if you've been infected and you've previously been vaccinated, that is going to count as a bit of a booster. So there's no rush to get out and get that, that extra booster shot. So some of the best guidance I've seen is wait a month. So after you feel better, give it another 30 days and then go and get your booster. We, we want to make sure that that immune response is over, your immune system is resting and ready for that next lesson as opposed to simply prolonging a response to the virus itself. Okay, this next text says, I've heard that if exposed to treatment for COVID is an iodine saline uh, saline nasal spray. Is this safe to use? No, I'm not going to comment on the safety, but as far as uh, virus efficacy, uh, no, absolutely no impact whatsoever. Um, That virus does not live just in your frontal nasal cavity. This is in the back. This is in the upper part of your throat. This can be in lower airways. That that is not going to work. The virus is inside our cells, so to get rid of that virus, you've got to kill our own tissue. Not going to work. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely no. Don't put crazy things in your body no, unless no. an expert tells you you should. Yeah, okay. and that expert is not a president. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> my 20-year-old needs his booster. No Pfizer available. Should he go for Moderna, which apparently is not recommended for 19- to 29-year-old males? Your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I understand the, the concern. So the risk is extremely low with Moderna, but they're absolutely right. It is ever so slightly higher versus Pfizer. So, you know, if they really want the Pfizer, uh, we've gone through something similar with with friends. Uh, We simply increased our our, uh, search radius in the province, and we were able to find uh, many, many appointments just outside the city limits. So, you know, a nice uh, 10-minute drive into a neighboring community with with an appointment, and we had no problem whatsoever securing a, a Pfizer vaccine for young males. All right. I think we're going to have to leave it there for time, Dr. Jenny. We appreciate your time. I know you've got a lot on the go and not a lot of free time, so we appreciate you uh, taking the time. You guys are more than welcome. Take care. You too. That's Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary.
Before you go and buy that new home, you might want to find out just how energy efficient it is. A new project by Alberta EcoTrust Foundation is mapping housing efficiency in the province of Alberta. With all the details, we're joined this morning by Jessica Lajoie, Program Specialist with Alberta EcoTrust Foundation. Good morning, Jessica. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. I really like what you're doing, but it sounds like this is a must have been a huge undertaking. How are you able to map the energy efficiency of the homes in Calgary and Edmonton? So we're really leveraging a lot of um, technology advancements that allow for this to happen. So historically, to get an energy efficiency um, EnerGuide rating, they're called on your home, you need to have an auditor come to your house and take some measurements and run a program to, to get a number for you. And what's happened in recent years is that companies have seen an opportunity to digitize that process. So we can take data sets from the municipalities. So in this case, we're working with the two larger ones in Alberta, Calgary and Edmonton, and they retain a lot of data about homes in the city already for things like your tax assessment. So they would know the year built, the square footage, things like that, that um, can be fed into a software program that can estimate an energy efficiency for homes based on um, previous audits that had been done that we can get access to that data as well. And then those large data sets that cover the whole city. Yeah, you're talking in, in broad terms there, Jessica. So, but I'm wondering, you know, as far as the tangible, the, the things that we know about in our home, what is it that makes a house energy efficient? What are those things that will pump up the scores? Yeah, so two main things. So there's really what we call the envelope and how airtight it is, and that can have a lot to do with the age of the home. So um, the windows, the doors, any any leaks and things like that. And that's only because you're losing energy through that in, that, those inefficient windows and doors because you're heating air that has been just bleeding and you have to reheat it again. So that's one way. And then the other thing that matters a lot is the um, mechanical system you have. So your hot water tank, your furnace, um, appliances to some degree, but not as, not as much depending on, on how you use them. But this is really about the home itself and not the, the occupants or the use of the home. So we want to look at the house independently of, of how people are, are using it inside. So Jessica, how, how can we use the tool if we're homeowners or maybe we're looking to buy a new home? How can we use this tool to help us? Yeah, so the great thing about doing every home is it allows for that comparability. So similar to say if you're buying a car, you might look at the um, fuel efficiency rating, the miles um, per gallon that you would get in your car. So this will be a score. We'll um, have two versions of the score. One is a 0 to 100 scale, which is pretty straightforward. And another one will be reported in gigajoules of energy. And that's an estimation of how much energy the home might use in a year. So um, if you were buying a home, like you said, you could use um, compare either the score or the gigajoules to get a sense of how much energy the home might use. And you can incorporate that as much or as little as you want into your home buying decision. As Again, as you would with a car, it might not be the, the most important factor, but definitely would play into thinking about what are the ongoing costs of managing this home once I buy it. Very interesting. And I think we all like to, you know, save those bucks and keep the family warm or, or cool, whatever it might be uh, during the appropriate season. <laughs> so thank you so much, Jessica. Yeah, thank you. Have a great good morning. You too. That is Jessica. Lejoie, a program specialist, Alberta Ecotrust Foundation. Find them online at albertaecotrust.com. Are you a fan or a fanatic, if you will?
That's the true meaning of the word fansu. That's mm-hmm. where it comes from. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we love to cheer on our favorite teams through the highs and lows, but what is the impact that professional sports teams, the ones we love and love to lament about or cheer for, uh, what are the effects on our stress? Could it be good for us? Dave McIver, you've dug into this and you've got some answers. And, and I think that, yeah, when we're riding the high, there's nothing better with your sports team, but you can get pretty dark too sometimes. Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I've been working on a couple things when it comes to sports and stress and mental health. Uh, next week, we got a health series uh, coming in, and I'm going to look at the importance of youth sports on uh, youth, young athletes sure. and, and, and all that. But I did want to focus on the fans today, the fanatics. And it, it can apply to everyone, right? No matter what professional sport you're watching, Absolutely. no matter what team you're watching. And, you know, can it help in times of stress? So I chatted with Lindsay Burrard, a mental performance consultant, PhD candidate at the University of Manitoba, about how we can use professional sports to relieve stress. Now, of course, there's two sides of the coin here, as you guys know, as me as a Patriots fan, and, and, and we'll get into that. Full as, disclosure. Yeah, yeah as, we, uh, as we get through this, but um, at Wait, first... You can make your stress level go through the roof. Absolutely. At the same time. Yes. So um, at first, it was just kind of an assumption of mine that it, you know, that it relieves stress, right? Because, you know, I'm a sports guy and I spend a lot of my time watching sports mm-hmm. and it does relieve my stress. So that was the first question I asked. Does it actually relieve our stress? I think for most people watching sports brings in a lot of positive emotions and feelings and there's been research to show that. So for that moment while we're there, we're really engaged. We have kind of that arousal experience from watching our favorite players kind of do their thing and make these amazing saves or wonderful performances. And that really gets us connected kind of to that sport. We also know that sport is related to connection and social experiences beyond that, right? So sitting down with a family member or chatting about it with a friend, that sense of connection also just makes us feel really good. So there's evidence to show both kind of reduction of negative affect, so feelings of depression, anxiety, and stress while we're watching, but also benefits too that kind of go above and beyond that. So, you know, it does make sense, doesn't it? Like I would think of Sue, a great stress reliever here. We're in the middle of work. It can be stressful, right? But what was on? We were watching the uh, women Olympic soccer. It was stressful. (laughs) It was stressful, but it was good stress. Fantastic, especially when they won. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) So um, I did ask, what is it then about us watching sports and getting involved in watching that, you know, kind of makes the stress go away? There is reason, though, that it, it makes sense. And there is this thing that's called reflected glory is kind of what we call it where it's part watching others succeed we kind of take that on as our own as if we are a part of the team and and being there too um so it makes sense um yeah like the benefit has been shown in research to be huge in terms of being supportive to watch games even in the off season being a sports fan brings psychological social well-being those connectedness as we talked about sense of meaning of accomplishment when our team does well so those are kind of like one big piece i like that the off-season piece of it too right you're you're sitting there and you get to enjoy it for the regular season and maybe the playoffs if your team does really well or and then in the off-season you get to talk about all those other things right? right and you're going online you're calling your friends and we talked about that online part of it how it can kind of bring a sense of community especially in these times right mm-hmm. you, maybe people aren't comfortable going down to a flames game right now maybe people can't afford to go to a Flames game right now, but 
what I always like the term, and I see it all the time. It's it's Flames Twitter, and that's you know a group of a couple thousand people that regularly go back and forth and just engage and right? just and and, it's and like you're almost, it's almost like you're there exactly right, and you're talking to people and you're disagreeing, but you're also kind of taking that focus off some of the stressful things in your life. And we talked about the online factor of it as well. I think for sure the the one thing that we have to kind of take right now is whatever kind of connection we can get. Of course, there's always pros and cons to being online and engaging with other fans of other teams or having those debates. But certainly that connection is there and sometimes can be replicated online. So that takes us to the flip side, right? Now we talk Mm -hmm. about the Patriots. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Can we take it too seriously? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We can. And I think of myself watching a big Patriots game mm-hmm. like Saturday night. If things aren't going well, maybe I'm not feeling that good. But then I put it in perspective, too. Right. Well, I'm also enjoying a sporting event. Maybe I'm not enjoying the outcome of the sporting event, mm-hmm. but I'm sitting down and I'm enjoying it. But there is that flip side. Can it do the reverse and cause us some stress? Just like anything, there's like this balance of moderation, right? And of course, too much of anything, including loving our sports teams, can cause some negative impact. As you mentioned, your heart's going to beat faster. So if you have any problems with like high blood pressure or a heart problem, that can certainly like get in the way. Or as you say, having to shut off the entire world so you can just kind of like be in your zone might not be super successful in terms of relationships. There is, of course, as with anything, if we don't have good coping strategies and things that help us reduce that stress, anyways, it some things can just be over the top for sure. Yeah. And I think there's other things that often go with sports too. Like if you're betting on sports, that can be really sometimes a, a difficult line. People that consume alcohol or other substances while they're you while they're watching sports, if um, you're having alcohol, which is a depressant, and you're already in a lower mood, that kind of coming out of that game might feel um, even more like I don't want to do anything or kind of manage the things I need to. Same thing kind of for some substances, people will feel the effects the morning after. Um, so it can sometimes, I call it like anxiety, like a hangover anxiety where everything just feels more difficult. So sometimes it's not even just the sports, but the ways in which we engage with and watch sports too, that can sometimes cause those kind of negative effects to our health sometimes. It's interesting because I used to work in the weather department with the weather guru, Paul Dunphy at Global. Mm-hmm. About 20 years ago, I remember him saying, well, we were with some of the camera guys, there was a sports game on. And he said to me, I, I don't watch sports because there's enough stress in the world already. I have enough stress in my life. And I think maybe you just have to know, like he found it too stressful Mm -hmm. to cheer for a team and go kind of all in mentally and, and, you know, back them with your, you know, whatever it takes, whether it's like getting together with friends or your, your, your gusto. And he said it's too disappointing. What what does she refer to it as? Reflective glory? Reflected glory. Yeah. Which I think is really, it's so true, right? Because when you, when your team is winning, you become part of it. You get your, you become like you're part of that team. But when your team is losing to not your fault, Dunphy's (laughs) point, it's, it can be really distressing and depressing, can't it? It it can. It's about the balance, right? Yeah. You gotta find it. It's knowing when it's just a game and life will go on. And I know I focused on pro sports for this, but I really think this does apply to any hobby. Sure. Right? Like we can Or even kids' sports. Look at parents who get so invested in their children's hockey games. 100%. It's whether it be a book club. Anything. Or or, or maybe it's you play Dungeons and Dragons with fans. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also think, think about video games for the younger ones. 
um, that sense of maybe not being able to sit with your friends and play the video game, but you're online and you're you know talking to your friends through that. You can only take it so far and so seriously. Sure. And it's about the balance and the finding those coping strategies, which I actually used on Saturday night. Did this interview did last you? week, and I did said, it you know help what? you? It did. I was just Good. like, you know what? There's nothing we could do about this. No. You're actually not part of the team. I'm not part of the no, team. I, I, I do love the reflected <laughs> yeah. glory, but I'm not part of the team, and I don't have an impact on the outcome of the game. So I thought it was an interesting conversation. Truly. Uh, the focus on sports, but I really do think that it, it goes to a lot of things that we can get involved with. Very much so. Very cool. And, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt and pass the wings, and I'm still going to keep watching for sure. <laughs> and the All Flames right. need to play better. That is uh, our contributor and uh, sports guru uh, extraordinaire, Dave McIver. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.